we'll be reading from Psalm 107. If you want to open your Bible to Psalm 107, that's on page 599. Page 599. And when you find that, go ahead and keep it open after we finish reading, because there's some things we're going to look at together as we speak together today and as I speak to you. And um, Psalm 107, page 599. I'm going to read the whole thing. So just read with me and absorb these words and, and, and follow the pattern of what you're reading here because it'll come back. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He set out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them on their desired, to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He returns rivers, he turns rivers into deserts, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water 
And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. And when they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in the trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of the affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see, see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Like I said, keep that open for just a second. And let's talk for a minute about that first paragraph, if you would. First, what, is, what does it mean when it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so? What are the redeemed of the Lord supposed to say? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Did you hear that phrase over and over again throughout that passage? What are the redeemed of the Lord supposed to say? Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that endures forever. And who are these redeemed anyway? Well, it says they are those whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. I think that covers everybody here, doesn't it? Seems like it. So who are the redeemed anyway? What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, let me pose a few questions to you. If you have ever been in trouble and later realized someone else saved you, you're redeemed. If you have wandered in the wasteland of hollow loves and fruitless attempts at fulfillment, if you have felt lost for, uh, and hopeless and distressed, if you have hungered for things that the flesh will eventually find dissatisfying, and then someone outside of yourself led you to something better, you're the redeemed. If you've been brokenhearted and desperate, if you've been uh, in the depths of sorrow, alone in the darkness, if you've been spurned by your friends and family, if you have fallen from a lofty place and languished in the dust, and then someone lifted you up and dusted you off and restored your soul, you are the redeemed. Those are my own words, but I wanted to make sure I got them right, so I read them exactly as I wrote them, almost. <laughs> I imagine that some of the people here are saying, well, I'm not feeling all that redeemed right now. Some people are probably thinking, I'm still in those places you just named, Pastor Dan. Some of those places still feel like the depths of sorrow or being spurned by friends or lost and alone and desperate, feeling forgotten by God. And this psalm reminds you, I hope, that we are the redeemed of the Lord and we need to say so, especially at times like that. And if you have not been redeemed, then we should definitely discuss that. And so we will. But for now, I want to speak to the redeemed because this is a challenge issued by the psalmist for the redeemed to say so and to carry out 
the, the most essential task of life as people who are redeemed, which is to worship God Almighty. Sometimes we forget that that's what this is all about, worshiping God. There is no greater thing that we can do than to worship God. There's no more important pursuit than to worship God. Yeah, I work anywhere from 40 to 70 hours a week, you know, doing church. But it isn't as important as worshiping God. Running the business of the church, running the ministries of the church, creating opportunities for people to grow in their personal discipleship is all very important. But it means nothing if we're not driving you to an attitude of 24-7 worship. That's the point. Now, you might be thinking worship then must be something other than singing songs of praise, raising our hands and shouting hallelujah. It must be something more than burning incense and, and offerings in the uh, temple. It, it, worship must mean something else. That's exactly right. Because worship is, at the end of the day, a lifestyle. And the Old Testament is the story in very long and, and, and drawn out, uh, of a long and drawn out journey of people being set apart for that purpose, to worship God with their entire lives. That's why they had rules, they had laws, they had a, a whole community that they were part of. Now, of course, human thought got involved and cluttered that up and turned it into something human. But at the end of the day, the whole purpose of being holy, that is set apart, that's what the word really means, holy, sacred, sanctified, they're all words that refer to being set apart. Asking God how you can live a sanctified life or a holy life is, in effect, asking God how to walk in worship 24-7. Meaning that everything you do is about your devotion to Christ, to God, who saves you through Jesus. Everything you do is meant to be an expression of your devotion to God. And this is what the redeemed of the Lord are called to say so, because God's steadfast love endures forever. It's horrible to imagine how the world and its history might have been different had God's steadfast love not endured throughout. In his letter to Titus, the Apostle Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what does a life of worship look like, according to Paul? A zeal for good works. Good works that do not satisfy my ego or give me a higher status among the people, good works that give Christ all the glory, good works that indicate that something inside me has given a totally different meaning to everything I do, and there's nothing more important than for my works to point you toward him. 
this whole love of God that is within us, this act of constantly worshiping God, which is to say, I love you, God, and I'm never going to stop thinking about how much I love you because you loved me first, because you redeemed me when I was unredeemable. This whole state of mind is reflected in the way that we act towards everybody we meet and every situation we encounter. To put it another way, can you imagine yourself sacrificing your comfort, your relative wealth, your prosperity, even your life for the sake of another? Well, I'll bet most of us wouldn't hesitate to do that for our children, for our spouse, for our parents, for people we love dearly and feel a special bond to, we would sacrifice everything, even our lives. But would you do it for total strangers, even knowing that some of them would reject you, resent you, and hate those who follow you? Is that not what Christ did for us? This is what Jesus did for us while we were yet sinners. He saved us from sin. He came of his own accord and because of God's great love, redeemed us when we weren't of any particular value until we were redeemed. And so for this reason, we're called to sacrifice the flesh. We're asked to not only reject the world and its systems, but to reject ourselves. That is to say, we're going to put our selfish desires in the back seat and put all of what we do in the front seat where Christ is driving. In other words, if it does, please help me to stop. Please help me to redirect or reframe this in some other way. That's what the one who worships God every day, 24-7, is all about. That's the redeemed of the Lord saying so. You know, when I think about all the monuments I've seen, countless monuments around this country and the world that were dedicated to dead heroes whose memories are pretty well forgotten and nobody knows for sure what they did anyway unless they happen to be a history buff. I marvel at how there is no monument to Jesus that's more real and profound than his presence in you. That you are meant to be a representation of him every day in the world in which you live, in every moment of your life, even your own household, even in a private conversation with your spouse or your children or someone dear to you. This is the time when you are meant to be a reminder of Christ. And so the living Christ doesn't need statues and memorials to him because he's not dead and forgotten. Why do we build memorial statues to those who die, even memorial markers in the cemetery, in order that they might not be forgotten? And you know what happens when enough people die who knew them and knew what they were and who they were in this life? then even their monument becomes meaningless. But Christ in you transcends you. And this transcendent nature of Christ passes on through the generations so that even though an entirely different body of people sat in these pews 25 or 30 years ago, Christ was still here in them. 
And even though they may have gone and now are forgotten for a variety of reasons, or barely remembered for a variety of reasons, Christ did not go with them and leave us without him. In fact, Christ went with them and Christ stays with us. Christ is transcendent. And he reminds us that because we're born again, we are transcendent, that our flesh, which we are trying to tame and suppress with the help of the Holy Spirit, is temporary. It's this eternal soul that we're trying to prepare for heaven, for eternal worship of our Lord and service to our Lord. That's the idea. So last week we read from Hosea. And I pointed out to you that it was a story that was all about God's love. And you may have picked up on the fact that today's reading is all about God's love. Have you begun to realize anew how much God loves you? And how God has framed everything God has done since the fall of humanity in the garden around redeeming you and bringing you back into God's household? Perhaps you're like me and you've had a real life experience of a prodigal coming home. And I can tell you that there is no greater joy than you can feel, that you can feel, than when one you thought was lost comes home and begs for you to love them again. And, and what a powerful experience it is to say, I don't care about the past. All I know is, is you're here and I love you. And to embrace them in that way is to have just the smallest taste of what it's like when heaven rejoices because another one who was lost comes home. That we who have rejected or ignored God's watching and waiting for us to come cause God a certain amount of pain. When we realize that God meant us to be in a relationship with God, in a, in a home of God's making, and we realize that, that by just sort of driving by the front door, you know, never entering into the garden or the front gate or, or going up to the front door and knocking and asking to be let in, the, the, the whole idea that we just drive by but we don't feel welcome or we don't feel that we want to risk what might be expected of us if we go in. This causes God pain. Because God desperately loves you and God wants you in a relationship with God, in God's household. So true repentance is when you begin to realize that and you realize that every time you went by but you looked the other way. Let's be honest. Let's do a gut check for a minute. Have you ever been on the streets or in the store or somewhere in your public comings and goings and you saw someone you didn't really want to talk to? And so you turned your back or took another aisle in the Walmart or you, you dug deeply into your cart or looked at the shelf very intently hoping they wouldn't notice you. And then when they, when they say, oh, is that you? Hi, how you doing? You go, oh, darn it. I wasn't really wanting to have this conversation. And then something superficial happens. Something that could be downright phony. Does that ever make you feel bad? Especially when you realize this person, you may not be all that invested in them, but they didn't really deserve to be treated that way. 
Imagine then your creator, your heavenly father, who sacrificed the most valuable thing that he could sacrifice in order to bring you back into his house. Imagine you've done that to him repeatedly. He even said your name and you pretended not to hear. Now when that hits home, when that really gets in your gut, redemption happens at the moment you repent of it. Redemption happens when you realize how really sorry you are that you ever treated your father in heaven that way. That is repentance. That deep regret. This is the moment that makes all the difference. The repentance. Then he picks you up. Then he dusts you off. And then he says, accounts are settled. I don't care that you ignore me in the past. I don't even remember it anymore. Now let us walk together into my household and let you learn how to live with me for the rest of your life. In fact, the rest of your eternity. Remember that the authentic sorrow of repentance is the number one vital step to true revival in your soul or new birth for your soul if it has not yet occurred. Now this is about the time when in certain denominations I'd call for an altar call and I'd invite people to come forward and pray the prayer of uh, repentance and redemption. I don't really know how to do that. I'm not very good at that, but I want you to do something about this. I don't want you to leave without having responded to God. Somebody here is hearing God's voice. In fact, if based on my own experience, I can tell you that it's the most benevolent and beautiful oppression you'll ever feel. It presses you down. It makes you feel small. It's like, it's like a soft, gentle, but heavy weight. It's like one of those thunder blankets that they put on people who are too wound up to calm down, you know? It's, it's like that. It's warm. It's heavy. It's, it's beautiful. If you're feeling that weight, don't ignore God. Simply say, Lord, I'm, I hear you. When he calls your name, don't ignore him anymore. Just say, I'm here. That's all you have to say. Your gentle Heavenly Father will do the rest. It will help you to talk it over with somebody, and you can certainly talk it over with me. But maybe you have a close friend nearby or a loved one nearby, and maybe you will go to a quiet place and pray for guidance in this response to God's word. That's all I can say for now except to pray for you and to pray that God's will be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for the profound word that you speak, for your kingdom, that is your authority over our lives. Thank you, Lord, for making us a people dedicated to your glory. Thank you for those who will, perhaps for the first time today, give you their lives, really repent of their sin, and turn to you as a prodigal returning home to the Father. For us who have been redeemed, but perhaps have grown cold and living like your children, we pray that you awaken our souls and revive our spirits so that we can be your people. That it would be evident in the way that we worship 24-7, in our thought and our deeds and our words. 
and the redeemed of the Lord say, Amen.